warning. This show features dark subjects which may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Chaos Jar. I'm the loud and obnoxious one, James West Secord. Hey. Over here is the host of the show and our big bag of facts, Bad Ben. Hey. And as always, we're joined by no one. A third person who is non-existent. It's, it's it's just the two of us. Uh, yeah, I I I have a habit. We're alone. Or we're yeah. I'm sad. I'm I'm very alone. Please date me, um, <laughs> ladies. My phone number is. <laughs> um. So before we start the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, you know all the all the stuff that requires from a YouTube's or a. Uh, or a podcoosts, uh, <laughs> podcoost, a podcoost. Uh, uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ba chaos jar. But you can also follow me on Twitter and ask me questions at I'm glad you asked underscore. It's an ellipses. Um, <laughs> and you know ask me questions I want to answer questions soon I might turn into a thing where I answer those questions on the air whisper um <laughs> you can also reach us at Facebook at Chaos Jar Podcast which is also the name of our YouTube channel um so if you got some friends who don't know how to do the regular podcast thing you can always go to YouTube and show them like a video with a picture on it and hear our voices say stuff hooray hooray and last but not least if you want to be a patron support us and Give us a little bit of money so we can, you know, afford better recording equipment and maybe not keep recording in my sort of dining room. Uh, you know, you can go to Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash chaos jar and throw us a couple of bucks. You'll get a shout out. You'll become an executive producer. And everybody who throws in a bit of money gets early access to our bonus episodes. The overflow. Um that may not seem like much right now because it's been a while since we recorded one, but you know, don't, 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 you know, it's, it's still cool. It's still cool. Um, still cool. Anyway, it's still cool. All of this in the show notes and more. There really isn't any more, but in the show notes. So Ben, what's going in the jar today? Today we're going to talk about the Dexter killer from the show, you know, I love that a, show. He's a blood spatter specialist. I love that show. Michael C. Hall is a treasured, underrated performer. I love Michael C. Hall. Right? I I think he... Someone once... Well, someone told me he was underrated, but, like, I, I don't think he's underrated. I think he's just underutilized. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, people just don't hire him enough, and it's... And he's mostly doing voice acting, and it's just like, but give him more roles. This guy's, like, really talented. People love him. I liked him in Gamer. I thought it was... I that, that was... That was all... <laughs> what a weird pull. 
I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, right out there. <laughs> you know, the other day, my I was... Um, I, I was talking with my friend and I was just like, we're talking about um, Christopher Walken and they're like, oh yeah, from Click. Yeah, Click. From Click. Christopher Walken's most famous film, Click. Remember that film Click with yeah. Christopher Walken? Like, it's one of those things of, yeah, that's what uh, Michael C. Hall is known for. Gamer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Dexter for a second. The show. Okay. Um, so, Dexter follows Dexter Morgan, obviously, played by Michael C. Hall. Holy <laughs> shit! It was famous for Gamer. <laughs> I I know that guy. He was in Gamer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, Dexter is orphaned at the age of three after he witnesses his mother be brutally murdered with a chainsaw by a gang of drug dealers. This uh, pretty well imprints on him, and he eventually um, gets adopted by a Miami police detective um, and realizes that Dexter is a psychopath, but he trains Dexter to just channel that into killing other criminals. It's the whole basis of the thing. He's a blood spatter specialist, so he works as a forensic person. It's kind of, he's hired to kill, he's hired to find the killer of these murders when he's the one who committed these murders. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, he uses, he also uses it to find other serial killers. Yes. Um, may, may I also add, the guy who played his father was also Raiden in the second Mortal Kombat film. Yeah. What a weird pull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a weird pull. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what a weird poll <laughs> but yeah so it kind of caused this like phenomenon to actually happen where people would actually be inspired by Dexter to commit murders really eh yeah so in 2009 were they expecting like were they were they trying to emulate like um killing other serial killers or were they trying to be caught by Dexter. Some of them with so there's some excuses that come up being like, you know, oh, they were killing uh people that were doing wrong or like trying to rid the world of bad people, but most of them are just trying to live that thrill of killing. Mm. So, in 2009, um a 17-year-old named Andrew Conley said that the show inspired him to strangle his 10-year-old brother. Um this happened What? Yeah. Um, there isn't even much strangulation in the show. Well, he confessed, saying that, uh, quote, I watched uh, um, I watched a show called Dexter on, Sh- on Showtime about a serial killer, and I feel just like him. Oh, that, that sounds like the equivalence of people who are like, oh, man, you don't understand, Rick, because I'm Rick. Yeah. Rick Morty. <laughs> Because Rick exactly. is such a Rick is such a, a is such a good character. He's like, no, he's kind of a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> so, a twenty-one-year-old Swedish woman was known as the Dexter Killer when, on November fourth, two thousand ten, she stabbed her forty-nine-year-old father in the heart. Was there saran wrap? Um, 
I have no idea. Uh, she compared herself to Dexter Morgan during questioning, and um, a picture of the character was right beside her phone when uh, when she when her father called her. So that's what inspired her to do this. Uh, she was sentenced to seven years in prison. Um, another 17-year-old was sentenced to 25 years in prison in 2014 for stabbing and dismembering his girlfriend. Um, his name was Stephen Miles, and her name was Elizabeth Rose Thomas. They discovered Thomas's body on January 24th and determined that she had been stabbed uh, that she had stab wounds to the back. And Miles was arrested under suspicion, and then he pled guilty to the crime on September 9th. He stated that he uh, dismembered her body following her death, wrapped the, limb, wrapped the limbs in plastic wrap, and attempted to clean up the crime scene before any uh, before he was found by a family member. Wow, these people never watch the show. You no. put everything in plastic wrap before you kill them, and, you know, maybe... Yeah, and you only kill serial killers, not normal people. Yeah. So, um, this isn't even all the murders that are inspired by it. There's a few, like, there's a few more in the states, and so there's like I could literally just go on a list of talking about these little murders in between that don't have a lot of buildup to them, or just like, well, I saw it on Dexter and killed them. But we're going to get into the main topic here, and that we're going to introduce a character, a whole character. A whole character. Um, Mark Andrew Twitchell, who was born July 4th, 1979 in Edmonton, Alberta. Ooh, a Canadian murder. Yeah. So we in Canada Town USA really appreciate those because we feel like it. it's almost like celebrating our culture. So... Um, the culture of worship Canada. Yeah. <laughs> we have a whole idol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got all those pictures of Putin. <laughs> Putin. Uh, I Putin. It's Putin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I you you saw the it. anger in my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I watched this TikTok the other day of some American woman. With a like with she had cheese fries. She had melted cheese on top of fries, and she's singing poutine, poutine, poutine to herself. And I'm like, that's not a poutine. That uh, no, there's no gravy in this poutine that you're calling a poutine. And that cheese is not a curd. No, it was just like cheddar cheese. Like it's basically a, a nacho fry. Yeah, it's stupid. So, um, we'll talk about Edmonton for a second. Edmonton is one of the uh, northernmost cities in North America. It's 300 kilometers away from Alberta's biggest city, Calgary, um, and it's the capital of Alberta. It's got a it's got a metropolitan area population of over a million, um, and it's famous for one of the largest malls in the world. Yeah, or at least Canada. Yeah, there's like a giant mall there. I've actually been to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sagriff's uh, parents were living there, and uh, we went and visited the place, and it has, like, a fucking water park inside. Yeah. It was actually really cool. I've never been... I've been in Edmonton. I've never been to the mall. I've been in Calgary quite a bit, so... 
Yeah, but that's not as cool. I know. Because I have a story. I know. You got a story in the city. Yeah. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, man. Fuck you. Fuck you. All right, continue. Dexter Morgan. um, Yeah, it's... So Edmonton's got a lot of snow, um, and it's mostly gotten populated only because of the oil fields that are not too far out. Yeah, yeah. Because Alberta's just full of oil. So... Alberta, well known for being the Texas of Canada. Yeah. Um, Edmonton is where Mark Twitchell is born. And from an early age, Mark shows a passion for costume making, performances, and fantasy. And his parents encourage this. They want him to feel artistic and feel this performance. And So we got a story about a LARPer? Um, he wants to be a movie maker. Costumes, role player. That's a LARPer. Yeah. That's a fucking LARPer. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, his mother, Mary, was actually a career graphic artist, and his father, Norman, was a maintenance worker uh, for one of the city's downtown offices. So... Uh, he does have an artistic mother, and I guess that's where this wanting them to flourish in that. Yeah. Um, both his parents had grown up on farms in Alberta outside of Edmonton. They got married in their 20s. Um, and they, by the time of, of this story, they were married for over three decades. Mm. So they have a very solid marriage, I'm guessing. I can't entirely tell just based on, but they were together for a very long time. Um, Mark has one sibling, a sister named Susan. He's four, uh, she's four years, he, she is four years younger than him. Um, and she was uh, much more of an athlete. She's smart, likes mountain climbing, kickboxing, skiing. Um, the family used to watch Star Trek The Next Generation after dinner together. Um, and Mark used to call her Q, which is an omnipotent omnipotent character. Omnipotent? Yes. Omnipotent. (laughs) Listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she ended up uh, later on, because she's so because she has such a high... Omnipotent. Because she has such a high intelligence, (laughs) she ends up pursuing a career in engineering. So they lived in a a 1950s single-story home, um in the Killarney suburb, across the street from a, cl- a Catholic school that Mark and his sister would attend. Um, and he was picked on for his nerdiness at this school, which I think we can all sympathize with a little bit. Yeah, he's a LARPer. Uh, yes. <laughs> he's a LARPer. He deserved it. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> what part of that was deserving? I know LARPers. Uh-huh. I honestly, I wish I'd actually done some LARPing. Yeah, me too, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We know a LARPer. I'm not a big fan of him, but... Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, mine, mine, mine's a, mine's a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what fucking, like, dry dead? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, nerds. Oh. <laughs> no, I just think it was cool, like, a little cool, too, to be like, I could have do I could have done that if I had been younger and been more in pursuit of it, but I didn't find out about it until I was like in college. So we could probably 
totally still do it now. We probably still could. It's just a matter except of our backs getting would die. <laughs> Excuse me? You literally just stand upright and be a wizard, and you're just like, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not right. Dexter Morgan. Yeah, Dexter Morgan. <laughs> so, um, Mark was described as a socially awkward, um, socially awkward student with reddish brown hair, big glasses, and ears that kind of stuck out a little bit. So, um, it infuriated him when his classmates mocked his appearance. Okay. Um, so he seemed to think that he was, he developed this uh, attitude that he was destined for greatness and that everybody else was just too inferior to see his greatness. Oh, God. He's every, every nerd villain from anything I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, he also managed to convince his parents to get corrective surgery to kind of pin back his ears a little bit to try and take some of that social stigma off of him. No! But he was man. mocked... Uh, but he was mocked anyways and it because it wasn't about the ears, it was about this idea that he's so much better than everyone. Um, so he spent most of his childhood just basically kind of being a social outcast and um, he just basically stayed at home. Um, he did have one friend that he would mess like that he would like play with and they would mess around with a video camera and make up stories um and he would actually make like compilations of various little skits that he would turn into short films oh, that's cool yeah so he's i guess he's getting that creative outlet out of him um and this is something that he brings into his adulthood as well because he pursue he pursues making short films during this and even tries to make feature-length films. Um, Which is quite a challenge, as we both know uh, some amateur filmmakers who've done that. I've actually been on a couple of them, and it's a it's a hell of a lot of effort, especially just organizing volunteers and everything. Yeah. So, um, actually, one of his little uh one of his little films is actually a movie par- uh, parody of a movie trailer for the comic book Judge Dredd. Oh. And uh Twitchell tried to copy the character's helmet which hit his entire face except for the chin and mouth and he used a an old street hockey mask and cut away the jaw to try and make that mm. fit. So like Jason but you know we hear what he says. Yeah. So, he turned this into a parody by, like, instead of it being Judge Dredd, he called him Judge Fred. <laughs> and he would say, I am, uh, Judge Fred would say, I am the law, yabba dabba do. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> are, are any of these, like, online? Did he? I'm or not this... certain. I didn't look these up. <laughs> like, the fact that you have it, like, somewhat of a transcript, kind of. Makes me It's intrigued. listed in source material. It's crazy. So, um, he also would do um, a parody of Wheel of Fortune, which became Wheel of Torture, where contestants would spin the wheel to determine what kind of 
painful scenario they would be subjected to. So, he's got a lot going on. Um, so, Twitchell's friend saw their movies as a fun pastime, but Twitchell took this as, this is serious business. Even at this young age, he is a serious filmmaker, and this is his genius. Got it. So, um, he also gets a strike of inspiration, and he would call these little inspirational moments his ICG, Internal Creative Genius. And when wow. it, when I it thought occurs, I, I know, and when it occurs, he absolutely has to keep writing, filming, and drawing with whatever new idea he's up, he's got. Or whatever idea he manages to steal from somebody else and convinces his own internal idea. Oh. Yeah. So, um... He is able to figure out how to write some actually really good, like, like some really good scripts. But he also, like, while he's trying to make them, he is very obsessive compulsive. And that really, like, breaks these scripts down a little bit. Whereas mm. he had this great idea and he was running with it and then he became obsessive compulsive about it. And so then the script goes from something that's actually fun to something that's kind of twisted in a different way and no longer feels like it resonates with anybody. Very Kubrick. Yeah. Um, he once handed a girl behind him in high school an expansive 200-page report he had written on the Star Wars universe, expecting her to read it, but she, of course, didn't read it, and again, this was another thing of, well, she just didn't understand my genius, and... It just feels like he has a more and more rebellious streak as he keeps going through high school. Um, and he ends up actually... <laughs> Sorry, my cat's trying to climb up your leg. <laughs> I know. Um, he actually ends up being arrested twice for shoplifting from a grocery store, but managed to avoid having a criminal record because um, the court offered him alternative measures as a first-time offender. Mm. So, you're stealing from grocery stores, but... Anyways, um, in May, uh, May 19th, 1999, 19-year-old um, Mark would see episode one, The Phantom Menace, and he loved it mostly because of the anti-hero form of Anakin Skywalker. He found it interesting that, you know, Anakin was on a planet and not understood for the genius that he was. And so if, that's what it takes to like those films. Yeah. Um, and he actually just really loved the origin story of Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader. So he wrote on, uh, so he writes a lot on a website called theforce.net and in a lot of other online forums where he feels like he's a genius on these forums. Mm. Uh, he wrote, It's so easy for someone on the outside looking in to judge why Anakin's choices were stupid. But it's different when you're the one uh, when you're the one in the position. So, um, yeah. He has an obsession with Star Wars because 
of this. Seems he, very sci-fi oriented. Yeah, and he really, really, really digs the Anakin story. Like, um, so there's a scene. There's a scene in Revenge of the Sith where Anakin, um, he kills the younglings. Yeah, yeah. And Mark posted that it was admirable. Mm. So, like, he what just, was his reasonings? He said that uh, he thought it was admirable because, like, he just felt that it was the way to become something greater. So these, it's getting rid of these. I don't know. The way that he even wrote about it being admirable, he didn't give reasoning, just more about the fact that it was the way to, like, evolve into something better. So, by killing something else, he's become Oh, yeah. It's, it's basically it's RPG rules. Because mm-hmm. as we've established, he's a LARPer. Yes. <laughs> so, Anakin was just leveling up. Yeah. Um, he would also make different accounts under different names and praise himself on these forums to increase his, I guess, stock in being a genius in his takes. So even if there was other people questioning, there'd be this fake account that would pop up that would be, like, backing up his claims and understanding and, like, to try and... Uh, legitimize what he's saying. Yeah, just like our our fans. Yeah. <laughs> our fans. <laughs> All five of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Ben. So, um, there was, um, as the premiere was happening for The Phantom Menace, some of Mark's friends decided to take turns in a charity event fundraiser called this um and called it a standathon. Um, it was one of those things where you stand for however long and whoever wins, you know, has a certain like is the winner of this like of the prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah kinda like hand on the card. Yeah. And while this is happening there's also auctions happening. Um and it was or all the proceeds would go to the Children's Wish Foundation in Canada and Twitchell took part in it. He auctioned off some illustrations and claimed that they were originally uh, their original conceptual drawings made by the production crew of Star Wars Episode One. So he auctioned these off, even though they were all forgeries. They're like what? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Terrible person. <laughs> So when his friends confronted him about the forgery, he refused to admit it and basically completely tainted this whole like standathon fundraiser. Like people bid into these and then found out that they were forgeries and then he's being like, They're not forgeries. They're a hundred percent not forgeries. Not at all. So um, he was also, at this time, studying for a degree in radio and television production at uh, Edmonton's Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. Um, and then he graduated from the program in 1999, just short, uh, just shy of his 20th birthday. Uh, most of the fellow students who were interviewed 
uh, would talk about him being just kind of a weird loner. So he's still not really getting too popular with anybody. Uh, he did have a core friend, uh, like friend group, and one of them was an uh, another boy named Drew Kenworthy. Um, Kenworthy said that Twitchell was a good guy, just not trustworthy. I love the idea of he's a real good guy, you just can't trust him. Like the the only way I can interpret that where it makes sense is you just don't expect him to be good at things. <laughs> like it's it's you know it's like a dumb guy. It's like. Uh, Oh man, he's a really sweet guy. He's just really dumb, so you shouldn't trust him with, you know, driving heavy machinery. <laughs> so, um basically what Kenworthy means is that Twitchell like when they would be doing projects together, Twitchell would all often really fail to do his part. And instead of owning up to the fact that he didn't do what he was supposed to do, he would just make up these wild stories. Like, and then he would just continue to unnecessarily lie, and the stories most of the time weren't even convincing. They were just like these giant wide wild tales. And all I picture with that is him being like, them being like, "So why didn't you get these costumes made?" He'd be like, "There's the fucking bear." <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. There is a bear. And it was in the costume room. Um, like I couldn't, I couldn't get the materials. I couldn't put it together. And then he started uh, smoking. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, and like, and and oh, there he is. And then some hairy dude walks by. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute, the bear was smoking. Yeah, and then the costumes caught fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, bear, you can't be smoking in here. Look, the costumes are on fire, and he just grunted at me and continued to smoke. <laughs> the imagery that it's a big, hairy gay dude makes the grunting sound even funnier. Uh. <laughs> 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 so, um, Mark was also very much in uh, into this woman named Tracy Higgins. She was a few years older than him, and she was enrolled in the same radio and television production program, um, they kind of dove into a really hot and heavy relationship, and it's very possible this was his first ever relationship. Um, but it didn't take her really long to realize that he lied all the time, and that he would lie about really weird stuff that people should never lie about. Um, he lied about his age. He lied about, like, his family background. It's almost like he just could not tell the truth. Like, is yeah, that'd be like uh, a compulsive liar, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he just can't control himself anymore. Yeah, or does that border on sociopathic? Kinda. Yeah, I d I don't really know the difference. And it also feels like he's not happy with who he is official, like where like his original origin. He wants that tortured past that fits his internal creative genius, like. Oh my god. This is... Uh, it's hilarious and also sad because Sagriff and I knew a kid like this in theater school. And I mean, like, point for point, 
always lied, always made himself to seem like he was this troubled loner who was bullied for being the only anime nerd in his entire um his entire fucking high school and shit like that and he couldn't allow anybody else to be an anime fan yeah they're all posers because he was the only anime fan i've known people like that yeah but like like you're matching it so well like sagriff's gonna hear this and he's gonna be like oh my god we know this dude (laughs) yeah i'm not saying names because you know um we can get sued for that but (laughs) yeah let's just call him mark yeah. <laughs> it started with a T. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, so Tracy, after about a year together, felt that she couldn't trust him and broke up with him. And of course, he's devastated. So in 2000, he ends after graduating and getting his degree. He gets a sales job and starts to call himself Logan. Logan. Your why. <laughs> Logan. He was an X-Men fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was at I was wondering why, because So yeah, he's trying to be he's trying to be Wolverine. Hilariously, the other person that Sagriff knows from our theater school <laughs> was a huge Wolverine fan, and he was also an obnox- obnoxious little shit. <laughs> who So Oh, it is hilarious. This is the direction we went. This is amazing. Sag- oh my god. Sagra's gonna be like, we know these people. <laughs> oh, he's, he's gonna... I'm, I'm literally... He's gonna, he's gonna edit this video, and he's literally gonna come up to me and go, why would you? Yeah. Ask me why I brought it up. <laughs> so, in 2001, um, which, uh, Twitchell meets an American girl. Witchell. Yeah, Witchell. <laughs> it's because I forgot to put the T... <laughs> Oh, it's <laughs> so. I'm uh, reading off a script. <laughs> it meets an American girl, um, and she's not named in any sources. But he then uh, marries her without spending any time with her, and moves to the American Midwest, where they live in Iowa and Illinois, and spent most of their time in Davenport. This is all according to Mark. Mark hoped that he would be able to get an opportunity to gain an American work visa. Um, and he hoped that this would also be his way of launching a big film career in the U.S. Mm. Wait, With, sorry, where did they move again? So, um, Iowa, so Davenport, Iowa. Oh. Or Illinois. Yeah, I, I feel they, like... I feel like L.A. would have been the better. Yeah, like, you're yeah. in Iowa and Illinois. <laughs> And like, they're they're known for their their film, and you're kind of away from Chicago, so yeah. like it's not even like you're close to like <laughs> that connection. Like, um, he ended up spending most of his time in the U.S. just kind of being online. Um, he made a bunch of fake online profiles on a variety of sites, and just kind of would like go off about them. Like, about anything that he felt he needed to argue with people online about. So, he's 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 an internet troll. Yeah. Yeah. So... We said that entire thing at the same time. Even the yeah at the end. (laughs) 
I have it. I have it even written in here that he's a basic internet troll. So, <laughs> so um, his new wife would pretend, uh, watch him pretend to meet these uh, meet women online, and chatting with random men online just to mess with their heads. And he's kind of thought of it as like a joke, and she would watch him do this. So that just says a bunch of stuff about him. Um, his new wife did not think it was funny, and after four years of marriage, she divorced him, and Mark goes right back to Edmonton to try and launch his film career. In Edmonton. In Edmonton. At least it's better than somewhere in Iowa. <laughs> you went to Iowa and Edmonton yeah. when we have L.A. and Vancouver. <laughs> Even if you had gone to Toronto, yeah, like <laughs> I can even understand Calgary because it's the largest city there. But, anyways, um, Calgary's let's let's stick with the other ones we mentioned. So <laughs> he gets back to Canada and he's going to launch his film career and he starts putting together this fan film. Um, and he's telling everyone that he decided to return to Edmonton, not that he got divorced, that he decided to return, because the Star Wars fan community was strong in the city and could help him complete this ambitious project. Because he's making a Star Wars fan film. That's right, you heard me. <laughs> you know what's funny? In this single moment, I realized that this started with a narration about Dexter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that we we haven't touched on that yet. <laughs> Not at all yet. <laughs> so, um, his fan concept, he would actually post about it on TheForce.net, of course. Um, a, ma a young man named Joss Hanyak-Tuck. Oh, I thought you were about to say Whedon. No. Joss Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> like, this inevitably turned into Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was excited at the prospect of helping produce Star Wars, Secrets of the Rebellion. That's what he called it. Um, Joss would actually become Mark's friend, and unknowingly he would become um, an accomplice to some of what Mark was doing. So he's completely like he gets completely taken for a ride. Um, so he starts filming this fan film. Any, <laughs> yeah. um, you and, know, fa fan film, fa fan film. And so he writes, the film was set a few days before um, A New Hope, and follows the true format of Star Wars film to the letter. We incorporate droids, the Jedi element, good versus evil, in a very classic way with real character development and a heartfelt approach. In fact, the whole film is going to be after, uh, is going to be an, uh, an original trilogy feel in general. Mm. He's basically saying I'm just as brilliant as George Lucas and and that's that's arguable about how genius George Lucas is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we we just lost so many audience members. I know. <laughs> you just shot us, man. <laughs> I just shit over one of the most biggest fan bases out there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually mean that, folks. Well, sort of. But l l let's let's be honest. Lucas wanted to be like 
I need to make things the way I want to make things, and forgot that the fans are the ones that own the show now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, continuing on, bringing back to the, uh, bringing back the original most loved characters of that saga, in a very tasteful way, it Sorry, is Sega? One, yeah. Is Sega. Saga? I say Sega. But anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saga. Sega! <laughs> huh. Did you ever think the, that would come uh, up? The Saga Genesis. <laughs> Saga Genesis. Someone's like got a Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. All the way to Saturn. Yeah, so. Oh, the Sega Saturn. <laughs> I found a Game Gear in my closet the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the fact that we're going on about this. And I'm like, I found one of those in my closet the other day. I've never owned one. And then I was like. Wait a minute. If I don't own this, why is it in my thing? So somewhere along the way in like my life, like living my life, I've managed to somehow get my hands on a Sega Game Gear without realizing it. Uh, so anyway, since we follow the true format, there are two or three things going on at a time that all interweave back and forth and then collide at the end while still having something to do with one another. Will you tell the story about of how Han Solo set the Kessel Run record and how he names his ship, as well as revealing why he had to ditch his cargo? We also, uh, we also have a very artfully crafted way of showing how he won the Falcon from Lando in a game of Sabak in a flashback sequence that we had to make sure wouldn't come off as cheesy or contrived. Whoa, whoa, wait a second here. Did he literally come up with Solo several years before Disney released Solo? Yes. (laughs) That is honestly kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny, because as I was doing the research, I'm like, that's that's Solo. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, like, like, I haven't even seen the movie, but I know all of those things are in there. (laughs) <laughs> and it's fucking uh just the idea that like Disney's like yeah you know what uh nobody remembers the serial killer let's just take his idea and then Ed. as you know as usually with uh Mark's hey, films I, hey I haven't even said that he's the killer yet sorry <laughs> sorry but sorry he could just be a victim <laughs> uh, okay okay sorry I'll, I'll pull back so um as with we we did some random dude off on the internet trolling yeah. people. He um, he it's came the, up with this. Let's just take the script. It's the force.net and he put a script up there and they're just like, okay, yoink. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but as expected from anything Mark makes, it turned out to fail. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. So Mark planned to shoot his fan film here at his old college in front of a studio green screen, and he did do some film shooting there. He spent $60,000 of his own money to do it, um, hoping it would be a calling card for the industry. Holy shit. He spent $60,000. He also did create some top-notch costumes, um, but did not have some really great computer effects, and... 
basically threw in a whole whack of lightsabers in that. Um, and his new friend Joss worked hundreds of hours on him on it with him. Uh, <laughs> Secrets of the Rebellion was really elaborate, and it was like filmed sporadically over the next two years. In 2006 and 2007, actors and performers across Canada and the United States would fly to Edmonton to star in this movie. Uh, news of the project spread among, spread among sci-fi fans in various internet chat rooms. Um, but it's more than likely that Twitchell was writing about it all the time, which is what was causing all of this. Yeah. And he was also using hundreds of different account names to try and help legitimize this. The biggest name that he was going to get appear in the project was Jeremy Bullock, uh, who played Bob, uh, who played Boba Fett in the original series. Oh, uh, he managed to convince Bullock to make a brief cameo appearance, and Bullock died in 2020 um, at the age of 75. But he was not a big name; like you wouldn't even really recognize him because he's more famous for the Boba Fett mask than. Yeah, yeah, kind of like um, Doug Jones. Like yeah. nobody really knows what his face is because of all the makeup. Yeah. So, um, his like he's just kind of he's a big name, but he's also not star material that would yeah draw yeah. in. This is a completely like this is completely a niche market. <laughs> Um, shooting wrapped up in late 2007, uh, sorry, in late summer 2007, and, um, he declared how significant of an achievement it was, quote, it's going to be surreal experience bringing these, those long-awaited incredible stories to the screen. I'm blown away that it gets to, uh, be me to bring it to the world. Um, it feels like destiny. Um, January 13th, 2007, so it, the film wraps up in the summer, but on January 13th, he got married again. Um, her name is Jess and she was a college student with, uh, with a, some type of steady government job. They'd met on plenty of fish in 2006. Um, and he claimed that he had actually forgotten about their date on his way to the movies when Jess called wondering why he wasn't at a restaurant. Just so you know, folks, Make sure that uh, when you're on Plenty Fish, you're not dating a serial killer. <laughs> so Jess was smart, three years older than him. Um, she was 30 when he was 27. She was detail-oriented, and he's a big-picture guy. Yeah. So very, very, very good things are going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, they went for a stroll through a park a few months after they had met and Mark surprised her by proposing and she said yes. They moved into his rented townhouse and made room for his roommate to move out. Oh, I thought made room for his his roommate. It's <laughs> like <laughs> third wheel legend <laughs> always in the way. Anyways, um, they had a small wedding, and his sister uh, Susan served as his best man. I love the idea that his sister was his best man. Um, they really shows how many friends he had. Yeah, 
They went to, uh, they took their honeymoon in Costa Rica, and then in spring of 2007, she would get pregnant, and their daughter would be born just after their first anniversary. Um, he is not as much of a family man as he should be. So, early in the marriage... picture type guy. Yeah. So, early in the marriage, um, Mark's first love, Tracy Higgins finds her way back into his life through Facebook, and they meet up and basically begin an affair. <clears throat> uh, Mark regretted stepping out on his wife and confessed it to her. Um, she was devastated, and but she was only a couple months pregnant at this point. And so I guess this kind of, like, keeps them together just because, like, he's begging her for a second chance. And Yeah. Yeah. So Halloween in 2007... Mark spent $300 and countless hours perfecting a costume of Bumblebee from the Transformers franchise. Ooh. You know, because he does this while his wife's pregnant and expecting a child. Yeah, that um, sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, he attended two Halloween parties accompanied by his wife, who is six months pregnant, and won both costume contests. Uh, he then sold a Harley Davidson that he had won in one of the contests... And sold the costume itself, netting a profit of $16,000. Jesus. So he could easily make, like, a living just making these costumes and, like, but he's not going for that, right? Yeah, like, you move to Toronto and do, like, costume work and stuff? People will buy the shit out of that. So, well, even in this day and age, he'd be making a fortune. Like, people, cosplayers, they need... Yeah, exactly. Like, this is insane. <clears throat> um... A few weeks after Halloween, Mark is introduced to a new TV show from, by a friend of his, and this new TV show is Dexter. Friends. <laughs> Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, at first he wasn't too interested in this, um, and because he was too busy with his projects, but then he decides that he's going to um, get kind of into it. And starts to, like, watch it as, like, kind of, like, a background thing. Like, if he had nothing else to do, he would watch this show. Yeah. Uh, Mark makes a buddy comedy that he wrote with two guys who worked as extras. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, he's working on a film project called Day Players, and it attracted investors. Um, and Day Players is a comedy, is a buddy comedy that he writes about two guys who are working as extras, a.k.a. day players, on a variety of films and TV shows. Day Players stars Nathan Martin and Stephen Kepler playing Craig and Ronnie. Is, isn't that just extras? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so they're just... Two actors trying to make it in the industry, and Stephen uh, Stephen is currently a morning radio show host in Kelowna, and Nathan works as an editor for the Edmonton Sun. Um, Twitchell had a media company that he called Express Entertainment, and it made promos for um, for this Day Players trailer, and it's actually on a YouTube channel. What? Yep. We can watch this? Yep. Um, so, back to him watching Dexter. Uh, a friend of his gave him the DVD 
with all with uh, a DVD with twelve episodes on it of the first season. And finally, Twitchell gives in and decides he's going to watch it. And he ended up watching all twelve episodes in four days. Season two finished airing that December, and he of course watched all of that. Um, and then he bought the Dexter series novels, which are inspired by the TV show. And then he read about how Dexter Morgan in the books wore a silk mask to hide his identity from his victims. Wait, the the books were and based the book, off yeah. the show? Uh, sorry, other way around. You're, oh, you're right. oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he ends up taking that as a mental note that he's going to need. Um, in late January 2008, he becomes a father, and they name... Uh, so he and Jess name their daughter's, uh, their daughter Chloe. Jess let her husband pick one of their daughter's middle names, even when she learned that his choice was taken <coughs> from the expanded Star Wars universe, Jaina, the daughter of Han Solo and Princess Leia. So she is named Chloe Jaina Twitchell. It's actually not a bad name. It's like, compared to what he could have picked. And, uh... Chloe Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) I was about to say, um... Chloe Java. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... In April and May of 2008, despite not getting any funding... Sorry. The cat bit me. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Despite not getting any funding after making a little teaser for day players, um, he decides to go forward with this project, so he has no money while he's working on this project. God. So, um, and he's spending a lot of April and May of 2008 working on the project. Um, which is... Ex- and so, he's trying to launch this in 2007, and... The promo for Day Players is launched on December 20th, 2007. Extras, which is what you're talking about, aired in 2005 and wrapped up December 27th, 2007. So, wait, wait, I gotta remember those times. Those went by me really fast. (laughs) He's making this show in 2008... And the show extras, the show that we were talking about yeah. beforehand, wrapped up December twenty seventh, two thousand seven. <laughs> he had launched the promo for it in December on December twentieth, two thousand seven. Oh my god, he he was so he essentially was trying to be like show's over, but we have more. He essentially recycled the idea. Yeah, he yeah. just took it and went. Um, the odd thing is that even in this, it's a poor imitation of the show. He tried to like he even tried to use Ricky Gervais' style of like fast talking in the show, and it just wasn't there. Um, yeah, so. Uh, he is also at this time filming a promo piece for this show to keep it keep trying to attract attention to it. Um, and he also starts to infuse a bunch of Dexter type violence into his buddy comedy. Oh. So the show's starting to take a little more hold. 
Um, as he worked on a script in early 2008, um, he worked in references to slit throats, duct tape, and being restrained to a chair. In early scene of the show, a woman complains about a man who has deceived her with a fake online dating profile. So, yeah, he's just getting really into this idea of Dexter. So he starts weirdly mixing this this extras parody with, or parody ripoff, with random scenes from Dexter. Yeah. Um, and he and his old production buddy, Joss, um, pitched the movie to several groups of investors. They had predicted that it would get $33.9 million within the year of release. I want you to think about this. They went into a board meeting or an investor meeting and went, here's what we've got and here's what we've worked on and here's all our stuff. We predict that it'll bring in $33 million. <laughs> Yeah, and, and somebody uh, was like, "I seen this show." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It it must have done really well because I've heard of it like very thoroughly up until now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, sadly, none of them, none of these investors would invest from the outside, so they would just borrow some money off some relatives. Joss's parents handed $30,000 in three installments to him, and Twitchell got money from his brother-in-law. He had some hard-earned money saved up from... So his brother-in-law had money saved up from working in the oil fields in Alberta, so he also signed over $30,000, but under a strict condition that the investment be held in trust for the film project. He also did this, he also, um, unknown to his wife, who had been encouraging Mark to keep his day job, Mark decided that he was not going to do this and quit his job. So now he's unemployed, working on these movies, and borrowed money. Oh boy. So, in early 2008, he also did a weird flex on a project... Um, about a project that hadn't gone anywhere on the message boards of Force.net. Yeah. So, um... Oh, yeah, the, the Star Wars fan film that... Yeah, he said under his Achilles of Edmonton account, um, he said how to parlay fan films into a career, and then he bragged and said goodbye to the Star Wars community that had kind of supported him. God. Um, yeah. He stated, and he, or sorry, he wrote in this, sweet, zombie, sweet Zombies Jesus, I did it. I did my homework, made sure all my ducks were in a row before hitting up the big boys, and now we're there. It's my first multi-million dollar feature. We're looking at very realistically getting Alec Baldwin and Jeff Goldblum on board. Without my fan project to prove my crew had what it takes to get the job done and do it right, this would not be happening right now. <laughs> Name drops. <laughs> Name drops. I love the idea of Alec Baldwin or Jeff Goldblum. No, Alec Baldwin and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that's true. Both yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, those those are two actors who are well known for working together. Yes. 
entirely. <laughs> Have they ever even been in a film together? I'm not even sure. Because I feel like the two of them are just so drastically different in acting. <laughs> yeah. I really want to see this project now, but I don't think Alec Baldwin's really going to be doing very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's still kind of reliving that trauma. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He's He is... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He's pretty shaken up right now. Like, he's filming a movie currently or something, but he kept, he's been giving interviews about how he's not... He, he's still getting triggered on set, so... Well, yeah, like, that's I, what happens when yeah. you accidentally shoot someone. Yeah. And the family's suing him, so, like... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he just settles just because he'd feel so guilty. Yeah, he he even stated that he feels guilty, so, like, it's... Yeah. But this isn't about all Alec Baldwin. Yeah, <laughs> sorry! <laughs> what... Fucking... <laughs> Why haven't we done the overflow? <laughs> I have no idea. Anyway, continue. So, also in early 2008, he's now jumping into his Pontiac Rand Am uh, five mornings a week and driving to a job he doesn't have. So, instead, he's cruising around aimlessly, um, going to coffee shops and working on his scripts and making a bunch of cold calls to try and line up investors and talking to people, trying to catch a break into the business. And he's just trying to pretend that he's living this producer life. Right. Like, so sometimes he'd stop at his parents' house while they were at work and eat their food and watch TV. Oh my God. And then before they get home, he'd head to his house and pretend to be just, destroyed from a soul-crushing day at work. I love this narrative that he has painted to his wife. And I just love the... Could you imagine? Because he's so terrible at all these things he's doing in his life that the parents know he's coming over during the day. Yeah, like, they, they've never... They, like... Well, nothing explicitly says it, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just like, oh... Looks like Mark showed up again. Weird. It's on the sci-fi channel again. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps watching the... Sorry, it's on Showcase. He keeps watching this show. You know, I, I don't know why I had an accent that his parents had, like, southern accents. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of... It, it, it towns out that uh, Mark came by again. <laughs> like, 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 he's an old farmer, like, the winds are blowing, blowing hard. It is Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, by July, Mark is getting frustrated that there is not a lot of attention on his film projects. So, he decides that he sticks a Wi-Fi card into his laptop, logged into his Facebook account, and entered a status, Mark is pretty tired of depending on unreliable people to get back to him. I love the idea of a Wi-Fi card. Because, you know, back when you had to... Oh, yeah! <laughs> uh, for, a, for a split second, I thought you were talking about one of them fire sticks where where it's like internet anywhere, but like... No, we're you know, talking about... A Wi-Fi card, yeah. Back when you had to put it into your laptop and turn it on, and... Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Hi, kids. <laughs> Hi, kids. 
Yeah. So, and I also love that he put on Facebook, like, I'm tired of depending on people, on unreliable people to get out of me. You don't work. What unreliable people? Your you wanna fans? Know, you want to know who's going to find you very unreliable? Your wife. Like, <laughs> so, this new financial stress has been adding to his plate, and Jess wanted to move out of their, ti- their tiny townhouse and find something nicer, you know, because they have a daughter and a growing family. So They have two daughters. They have one daughter. Chloe. That's the only one. Oh, you said daughters at one point. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so um, Mark decides that he's going to lie his way out of this one. He bought a second cell phone, registered to a fake name, which was really easy to do. God. Um, And then when the mortgage broker uh, called his boss to help, um, he answered the phone in a disguised voice and pretended to be Jim McDonald, uh, sorry, Jim McDougal, HR manager, an imaginary boss that he had just made from a fake employment place that he's fake going to work to. I love it. I love that he got a second cell phone and to get this mortgage, he just pretended to be a boss. Like, uh, can we can we uh, can we call your boss? Yeah, sure. But while you do so, I have to go to the washroom. <laughs> yeah, I'm McDougal. I'm Jim McDougal. <laughs> Jim, Mar- I'm McDougal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he used some of the money that he raised for day players, which was about twenty thousand dollars that he has borrowed from somewhere else. Yeah. And transferred it to his personal account to make it look like he had savings. Oh, wow. And it works. They get a mortgage. So now he's got a mortgage. And no job. And nothing's coming with this day players thing. How is this guy doing this? And I can't get out of poverty. Yeah. Like, (laughs) fuck me, man. Yeah, like... I have to fucking bust my ass just to get my bills paid. And meanwhile, here he is getting $30,000 from somebody who also busts their ass to get their bills paid. Yeah, like... And somehow he's managed to, like, trick the government into getting a mortgage? Like, how did you do this? Why did I think of any of this? I know. <laughs> Maybe he is a creative genius. Uh, he's a scam artist at best. <laughs> if he put this much pressure into being like a salesperson, holy fuck would he ever like Oh my god, yeah! <laughs> like this is insane. So the little family moves into their new house on August 1st, 2008. Um, and it's a little brick bungalow at the corner lot at north end of St. Albert. Um, and his fake employment routine continues. He keeps leaving the house, puts on his work clothes, pretends the drive, like, pretends the drive to an office when he's actually just driving around, and then goes into a coffee shop and tries to cold call people to give him money. And then, you know, then- walks and goes to his parents' place, <laughs> watches Dexter, and eats their food. Yeah, and then comes home and pretends that he just worked an eight or nine hour job, an hour day. Like, and she still has no idea he's doing this. Yeah, that's... I... I'm... 
I'm not sure if I'm very impressed with his 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 keeping up the act or unimpressed that she hasn't noticed yet. Yeah. <laughs> like cuz obviously cuz I'm not there, I don't know what is which direction it looks like, but it's just how is there no like how are you not cluing in? Yeah, how are you not catching this like is he really putting on that good of an act? Like, maybe on the way... Th- a, maybe he should have been an actor. Like, yeah, like, on the way home, he just takes out a spray bottle of water. Oh, I'm so sweaty. Like, anyway, keep going. So, um, his, prod- his, uh, his Star Wars fan film, Secrets of the Rebellion, is still held in post-production. Um, Day Player still needs a lot of financing to actually be made. Uh, the production business is draw. Um, his production business account dropped under seven thousand dollars. Almost all the investment money is gone. That so that's sixty thousand dollars that he's blown. Um. So now he decides that he's going to completely go into this in a new angle and scrap the old ideas and start with something new. A whole new project. So, he rents a detached double-door garage for $175 a month and sends an email to a few people who had worked in his crew for the Star Wars fan film, and he writes, quote, What up, bitches? <laughs> Does he actually say that? Straight up. <laughs> what up, bitches? My hoes and peeps. Just want to let yeah. you know. <laughs> so, I have a month to kill, or uh, so I decided... That we should produce a short, uh, short thriller. This one's about a serial killer who gets his kicks from taking out people who think they're getting away with something. They sh- wink. Yeah, they <laughs> shoot. The shoot dates are Friday, September twenty sixth, and Saturday, September twenty seventh. The main portion of the short will be shot in a garage that I have rented at five hundred uh, five thousand seven hundred twelve fortieth Avenue, which has power but no heat. So if the weather is nice, great. If it's a bitch, we'll bring space heaters. Look forward to having some fun. Mark Twitchell, Express Entertainment. Um, So this email goes out to the crew that helped him before, and it also included a description of his desired special effects. He said that he needed severed ears, um, quote, and there's one shot I'd like to get of a victim's decapitation. The more realistic, the better. It's a darkly lit scene, so minor uh, so minor detail is not as important as overall weight and trajectory of the head falling from the body, and the believability of the blood spurting afterwards. The shot I have in mind is a is practically a silhouetted uh, is practically a silhouette of the victim. So, I love that idea that he's like we're gonna sort of shoot uh, we're gonna. Sh- we're going to shoot a short thriller. We're going to short a shoot thriller. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I need some decapitation happening. <laughs> so, um, on August 29th, Twitchell drives to the U.S. border. Um, and then he planned to drive to Montana to buy props for his new horror short. And he told Jess that he'd been hired to direct and produce a music video. Oh my god! He told a customs agent about the music video, 
who then asked Twitchell if he had the required work visa to work on the video. When he says he doesn't, he's refused entry. Oh my god. So he heads back in the direction he came. He reached Calgary a few hours later, where he pulled into a hotel. He surfed the internet, found a stun gun that he was looking for, sold by a seller who had shipped to Canada. So, he would then also buy a meat cleaver, a pair of handcuffs, and software to prevent tracking of his internet activity through his web address. And he does this over the weekend. He stays in a hotel over the weekend in Calgary, purchasing items he could have purchased at home. So. Oh my god. He decides that he needs to um, get some inspiration on this. And then he also, a few days after coming back from Calgary, gets confronted by his wife for being on Ashley Madison. I don't know if you know what Ashley Madison is. I I don't. Ashley Madison is where married individuals meet singles who are looking to have affairs. So it's a married person who wants to have an affair with a single person. Oh. Yeah. And it's a website that's been created. Their slogan is basically like, let, uh, let's have an affair. Like, Oh, and he was actually on this? Mm-hmm. So this site is actually Canadian. Not a lot of people know that, but it was made in 2002 and it has over 60 million users. Like, it's massive. Massive. That's... What? Yeah, actually, one of the Duggars, I don't know if you know who the Duggars are. No. Uh, 19 and counting. They have 19, they have like 25 children or whatever. Okay. And so, so most, a lot of the children are adults now. And one of the Duggars was found to be having, he had an, uh, an Ashley Madison account. This, like, I shouldn't be so surprised that this exists. But it's still, like, mind-blowing that it's a thing, because it's it's just so traceable. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, this, okay, so I have the slogan here. The slogan is, life is short, have an affair. Just, just continue the story. So, <laughs> he gets confronted, and he tells her... He's working on an article about married men and married men and being on a website as research. I'm not cheating on you. It's I'm, research. I'm researching. So, on Saturday, September 17th, Twitchell, his crew, and a few actors um, that he found as uh, through online casting call websites arrive at the garage and. They spend 15 hours making a short film. The crew had already built the set, and they made... Uh, and together they were going to make House of Cards, which is what they're going to call this. Yes, House of Cards. I mean, at least it wouldn't be taken off the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, he had kind of gotten the name from the 1990 BBC series. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Mark's killer, 
used duct tape to restrain his victims on a large table inside of a kill room, lined with plastic, sheeting, and to make the room easy to clean and prevent forensic evidence from seeping outside. Victims were dismembered and tossed away in garbage bags, and the killer would always get away with it. You know, because of the inspiration. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you can tell by now, I'm, like, really getting fed up with this guy. Like, it it is getting to a point that I'm getting angry <laughs> that he's doing things, like, at least bordering on what I want to do for what is essentially nothing. I know! And wasting his life and getting away with it. And everybody's buying it. Yeah! Oh, like, I'm so frustrated and angry right now. Like, this is a genuine reaction. <laughs> so, by this point, he has watched the first and second seasons over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And he has read all the books so many times. Um, He wrote in an email to an American film contact, It's one of the most inspiring pieces I've ever seen as an artist. Engaging does not begin to describe it. And then he decides that he's going to make a Facebook account and name this Facebook account Dexter Morgan. And he opened the account and included dozens of photos and still uh, um, stolen from the show. And he starts to pretend that he's Dexter and that Dexter's real. And he would communicate with the followers and the people that would add him. And he would respond as Dexter would. As he felt Dexter would. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if I heard about this before. Because I'm sure, like, people would hear about it and assume it was a it was a, a stunt from the, yeah. the actual show. Yeah, they would think it's, like, something for, like, the upcoming next season. And, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, he starts to make um, a few changes to a short film. Um, he created a version of the killer who wears a modified hockey mask, targets married men by pretending to be a woman on online dating sites, and then his killer... Um, so, his killer goes after cheaters instead of how Dexter's killer goes after killers. Like... So... Um, the killer convinces men to meet up with the women at her home, and when they show up, they're attacked from behind, duct taped in, uh, to a cold metal chair, bolted to the concrete in a darkened room, and then the killer tortures the duped man in revealing personal banking information and social networking passwords. The victim are then brutally killed, dismembered, put into plastic bags, and um, his fictional killer is also able to get away with random horrific murders by convincing everyone that the victim is still alive. Well, I'll give him credit. He he used something from his own life, and that is stealing money from everybody else by doing basically nothing. Yeah. Um, the killer would use the passwords extracted by torture to send messages to each of the victim's accounts and writing simply that they're on extended vacation, which isn't exactly keeping somebody alive, like how long is somebody going to stay on vacation for? Yeah. It's been three years. We haven't seen you. Yeah, I'm still enjoying, you know, Barbados. We're in Barbados. <laughs> Where in Barbados are you? 
<laughs> oh, I'm in Barbados, Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in Peru. Okay, well, we went to Peru and you're not here. No, no, Peru, Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there is a Peru, Indiana, by the yeah, way. <laughs> I like the idea where it's like, we're, I'm in China. Well, we're in China. Yeah, China PIE. Yeah. <laughs> Or P I P I P I E. Yeah, God. Sometimes I think I might have dyslexia. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what P E I is, it's Prince Edward Island. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> there's a China Prince Edward Island. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. Um, quote. They'll just assume you ran off with one of your hussies and decide not to come back, the killer explains in the script. I love that the killer is telling the victims what he's going to do to them. It's so, like, super villainish. Yeah, like, it, that would have been better in a narrative. Why am I giving him pointers? He doesn't... He's not around anymore. <laughs> In my head, I'm thinking about the flaws and how I change them. <laughs> yeah. So, a young man named Robert Barnsley flies from Toronto to Edmonton to play the killer in this movie. Yeah. He is super pumped because Mark has promised him $30,000. And Mark only has five grand to this name. So on the film set, um, they're in a chilly, detached suburban garage, and this actor is freaked out when he realizes that Mark's props aren't props. They're actually real weapons, like, um, including sharp knives, a stun gun that discharged loud, crackling shots, a sturdy metal table, and two steel samurai swords. He even wanted to use real blood, so he went and got blood from a butcher shop for the murder scenes. So, Robert... Uh, so, for Robert's sake, uh, the crew settles on corn syrup and red food coloring to mimic the blood instead. And for the death scene, the killer stabs the victim while he's duct-taped to a metal chair. Um, Barnsley held a real sword as Mark requested, the victim played by another actor named Chris uh, Heward. I almost thought you were going to say Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, Hemsworth. <laughs> um, didn't have to pretend to be writhing in pain. He was really uncomfortable because he's, t he's roughly taped to a chair and somebody has a real fucking sword. <laughs> um, he all... Um, Mark also had a starring role. Um, the, after the victim's death, the movie cuts to a man, Mark, sitting at a computer writing out a violent premise. Um, the writer then closes down a, uh, down a fake female dating profile on his computer, packs away a hockey mask, implying that this whole movie is based in real life. He made himself the killer at the end of this film. So, as he walks out of his house, he's stopped briefly by his wife, who happens to be reading a Dexter novel on the couch, and she asks, off to the gym, honey? And he replies, you bet. Gotta relieve some tension from sitting so long. How's the story coming? Really well, sweetie. 
It's true when they say that the best way to succeed is write about what you know. He's a genius. Genius. So, um, the two days of filming wrap up. They celebrate with drinks. And Mark continues to think about his new short film that fantasizes more and more about going through it, killing people. He's still pretending to be Dexter online, and this is causing a lot of fan, like, fans to come on. Um, a few days after wrapping up, um, he has a series of messages with an attractive Dexter fan that turned really steamy, and he reveals his true identity. The woman was named Renee, and soon the two are sending photos of themselves back and forth and trading stories about dark fantasies. Renee confessed, um, I carry my own personal demons every day. There are days when all I want to see is broken necks and blood, but it will never happen. And he writes back, there is nothing you could possibly reveal to me that would make me cease communicating with you. We all have a dark uh, dark side, some darker than others, and you're not the only one who relate, uh, to relate to Dexter. It sometimes scares me how much I relate. He's also back to chatting with Tracy Higgins. I want you to think about this. He's married to a woman who does not realize, like, who has a steady job at the government, who does not realize that he's lying to her every fucking day and has a daughter with her and a house. And he's getting money from people to feel like, Jesus, fuck. Please stop reminding me about what's happening. (laughs) I, I am this guy. I'm getting so upset. Oh, believe me. I'm getting so upset. The comeuppance is coming. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, he was flirting with her and picking uh, her, uh, picking up where the two had left off. Um, they made plans to meet up. Wait, who, who, is, who are we talking about? Tracy Higgins. Oh, okay, cool, cool. And Mark. So... He would use his Dexter Morgan profile to do this, though. Uh, he knew that Jess was monitoring his emails and personal Facebook account because she doesn't trust him because of the Ashley Madison thing. Well, um, yeah, what a fucking surprise. He also is pretending to be a woman on Plenty of Fish. He made a profile under the username Spiderwebs and pretends to be a blonde woman named Sheena who's looking for a flame. Oh, could you be any more obvious? <laughs> Spider webs, web of lies, get caught in my trap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a black widow. <laughs> oh so, my god! Um, despite not catching Mark in these lies, um, she does catch him in other lies and demands that he sees a therapist, like Jess, his wife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark promises to see a psychiatrist every Friday. His first appointment was scheduled for October 3rd, but he lied about this, and he's not seeing a therapist at all. He's just too busy with this online dating thing and everything else that he's got going on. So, um, October 3rd, 2008, uh, Gilles Tetrault, yeah. It's another Russian name? No, it's French. Oh, um, and he, you're troubling saying that? Yeah, it's just his last name is so weird. Tetrot. Tetrot. Yeah. That sounds very Russian. <laughs> yeah. 
but Jill is uh, it's a guy's name. Well, yeah, no, so I, I know, but um, French name. Maybe he's a French Russian. I don't know. <laughs> a Russian. <laughs> so he's excited because he's met a woman online. Her name is Sheena. <laughs> And they've been writing messages back and forth for four days, and Friday is their first date. October 3rd. Ah. So, <laughs> Jill is a 33-year-old uh, newcomer to Edmonton. He had uh, just gotten a job at the local casino, um, and he's actually, he's had a hard time with meeting women, so this is, this fucking jackpot to him, like, he's met this really attractive blonde woman who's really into him and you know, he's really lonely. He's in a new city. Everything's going up for him now. He disappeared. No one would notice. Um, she needed to give him some odd directions to her place. She wanted him to drive down a back alley, park outside her detached double door garage. And she would leave one of the garage doors open a touch. So he could enter the garage, cross the yard to the back door of the house. She explained that there was no parking in front, because of a bus stop. The landlord padlocked the gate, the back gate, pull in, quote, pull into the only driveway on your left that isn't paved. Seriously, whoever heard of a driveway that looks like the Amazon, it won't swallow your car, I promise, is what Sheena wrote to him. So. Yeah, that's not suspicious at all. Mark on this day, he is psyching himself up. Uh, he buys some duct tape, a padlock, two disposable coveralls, and covered the ceiling, walls, and floor of his garage movie set kill room with plastic sheeting. He sets up his tools, a pa the painted hockey mask, the stun gun, a pair of handcuffs, and a fake prop handgun. Um, he... <laughs> oh, he has one prop. So, he has been writing in his laptop of this little journal that's called the SK Files. <laughs> yes, it hurts. Ah! So in it, he writes, quote, My shopping list was very thorough. I went out to several different stores to avoid, avoid buying all my items from one location, and I paid cash to avoid a paper trail, just in case. A street hockey mask that I would soon cut the mouth uh, out and paint gold. Streaks, uh, paint gold streaks for a dramatic effect. Basic dark green hoodie. Something comfortable with pockets that hides distinctive marks, body type, and hair. Two sets of disposable overalls for what I was sure to, uh, for what was sure to be a messy cleanup process. And I would use the plastic bags all this came in to wrap my shoes for the process. So, less than an hour before Gilles arrives, he flips open his laptop and checks the Dexter Morgan profile and updates his status. Dexter is patiently waiting for his next Vic to, uh, play date buddy. Oh, good. So, at 15 minutes past 7, Gilles got out of his truck and ducked under one of the partially open garage bay doors. And as soon as he enters, Mark grabs him from behind and stun guns him. Oh! So, oh. it's a really good shot. And But the stun gun that Mark bought didn't incapacitate him. 
It didn't cause anything more than, like, a really short shock, so he bought a really shitty fucking one. Um, as he describes in his journal again, sorry, not SK files, they're SK confessions. That's what it's called. Oh, that but, makes it all the better. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, as he describes in his little journal here, um, the typical laser, uh, typical taser gun used by police carries a charge of 50,000 volts. And we've seen what they do to people when they're hit with it. A stun baton boasts 800,000 volts, in which, uh, which sounds practically lethal, but you have to understand that it isn't enough voltage, but the imps delivered by the weapon that matters. Either way, I was confident with the weapon's strength. My confidence was misplaced. I bought a shitty fucking gun. Like... So, Gilles spins around and pushes Twitchell and then tried to make a run for it, and that's when Mark pulls out the prop gun. Of course, Jill doesn't know that this is a prop gun. Yeah, obviously. And so he's commanded by Mark to get down and put his hands behind his back, which he obeys. He was hoping that this was just going to be a robbery. Um, quote, uh, Mark told him, quote, if you cooperate, uh, this will only be a standard robbery. Um, and so... At this moment, he... Like, at this moment, Mark is in full control of everything. But Jill turns out to be way tougher than he expected, and he didn't want to die, so he leaps up, surprising Mark, and lunged for the gun. And then when he gets a hold of it, he realizes that it's fake, and now he is angry. <laughs> and with the burst and with the burst of anger, he fights back, and he bends the gun in half before <laughs> ripping it from Mark's hands and tosses it to a corner. And then he picks up a pair of handcuffs he found on the floor, and now Mark is uh, is whining and says, put those down. Jill throws them down and then starts to throw punches. They collide, and they start wrestling, and then um, he's unable to gain an upper hand, but Jill um, thinks about how the weapon isn't, the, whip, the gun he had isn't real, and he doesn't have another weapon, so... He just wants to get the hell out of there, so while he's grappling, he tried to get the hockey, hockey mask off of his attacker, but he couldn't. So then he just manages to get close to the door. Um, Mark is gripping his jacket, and man, uh, but Jill manages to slip out of the sleeves and roll under the door. He then crawled on his hands and knees through the dirt, and then Mark is running after him, grabs his ankle, and he starts to pull him back into the garage. But Jill manages to remaneuver um, and springs forward and runs away. Um, Mark would write, he made it to the driveway, and that's when I knew I was pooched. Um, so Jill staggers away and then comes across a young couple out on a stroll, and he asks them, please, um, there's a guy attacking me, he's trying to mug me, and Mark comes out of the alley with the hockey mask on, and Jill points and goes, that's the man, which... If I'm out there, I would have totally assumed that this guy being mugged is being mugged by the guy with the hockey mask on. Yeah. <laughs> like, Hold on a second. Um, I, I, to be fair, after being mugged in such a weird situation, I can't imagine he's he's going to be, like, so rationally thought. Yeah. That, that's him? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the couple look at the masked stranger, and Mark cheerfully says to them, Oh, hey, friend. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that's the most Canadian thing. <laughs> oh, hey, friend. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Just out for a stroll with me hacking my son. Yeah. So he, uh, Mark thinks that he can convince the couple that he and Jill are just friends, and they're doing some sort of reenactment, but Jill is really disheveled and really fucking scared, and they're not buying this at all. So the couple and Jill run away, and Mark knows that someone's going to call the cops, so he makes a quick retreat. Um, Jill ran to his car and got out of there. Um, when he finally got home, he got a glimpse of his battered appearance in the mirror before passing out, and then he checked a Plenty of Fish account, and Sheena is gone. Her profile has been erased. So th- this did not go the way Mark wanted it to. Yeah, I... Oh, my God. I Well, first off, the stupid part was, once he got away... Stop chasing him. Like, get take everything down and make it seem like you never existed. Yeah. Right? I. Why am I giving him tips? So, <laughs> so um, despite this, he tries to spin this into a victory in a small way. Um, he's listening to police scanners that he had in his garage, and he realizes that Jill has not reported the attack, and neither did the couple. He writes in a journal, um, quote, I wasn't sure if I would be- uh, if I should believe it worked. I walked calmly out to my car, got in, drove away, across the entire city, back to my home where my wife and child waited for me. During the trip, I kept thinking, surely this douchebag would call the police. Not that it mattered if he did, I covered my tracks well. No patrol car would come to take me away, uh, bound in handcuffs to be brought up on assault charges, forever ending my serial killer uh, killing career before it began, bringing down my marriage with it, and when my wife finds out the, what I really am. So he's really nervous, and he's paranoid, um, and he gets a text from his wife asking to pick up a package, and he thinks that his, uh, he thinks it's his wife at home trying to get him to come home as fast as possible because the police are there, so he's paranoid about this. He thinks they should... Of course. Uh, He'd write, um, it's pretty fucking hard to concentrate on anything when you live in constant expectation that the police are arriving at your doorstep. It turns out my wife did need to pick up a package, uh, a Pilates chair that she wanted me to assemble. Directions could have been more complicated than the directions for making mac and cheese, but I had a really hard time because of the apprehension that was already there. I love it. I'm not able to concentrate on this because I'm freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So October 10th, um, a man, so October 10th, 2008, so we're seven days later, a week later. Yeah. A man named Johnny Altinger is excited because he's met a woman named Jen. She's 35 years old, really cute, and she wanted an intimate encounter. Uh, one of her most recent messages read, quote, Although this sounds exciting, I have to make sure that you're not some kind of weirdo, and so far you seem pretty, uh, you seem barely well put together. But anyone can lie online, right? So I have an idea for how both of us can be comfortable with the situation, and by both of us, I, of course, mean me. I bought this, well, let's call it a handyman special. I'm all about resale. And the back gate is a little screwed up, so I locked it off 
and everyone's been tr- just been trying to enter through the garage. Sorry, everyone's just been entering through the garage, so it works out okay. When you see it, you'll know what I mean. If you do this, I can direct you to the house from the alley without giving you any street directions. See you before I let you in. Maybe this is a uh, paranoid on my part, but I have to look after myself. My first instinct about people are never wrong, and I know to trust them. I want to play very much, but I have to be cautious, as I'm sure you can understand. If you're okay with this, let me know. If not, we'll just have to miss. We'll have to miss each other. On the lighter note, though, if you really gel, if we really gel, you said you had four days off. How long can I keep you for if I choose? Maybe we sh- Maybe you should pack for a few days. So. Johnny's excited about this. He's 38. Um, he worked in the oil. He worked as an oil field equipment manufacturer um, in the quality control, and he's spending a lot of shifts just looking measuring parts. And he's been single for a yes. very, very long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the summer of 2008, Johnny had been on looking for a softish place to try and break. <laughs> he's been looking for a place to like. Yeah, I'm just going to walk away from that. <laughs> <laughs> he met a woman named Deborah on Plenty of Fish in 2006, but that relationship didn't work. Um, so he's been in a real dry spell. <laughs> um, so he loved motorcycles, owned two, um, and he actually kept his motorcycle helmet and jacket at the, always at the ready. So he's really into motorcycling. Um, if he was going out of town, he would cover his touring bikes Sorry, his touring bike. And at times even had his friends come by and check on it just to make sure that it was still right where it was supposed to be. So he, these are his babies. Yeah. Like, um, John, uh, besides his date, Johnny had other plans for the weekend. He was supposed to take his bu- uh, good buddy Dale Smith for a motorcycle driving lesson on October 12th. So um, Dale talked to his friend on the Friday before the long weekend and Johnny sounded excited. He was going to meet this woman, and he was going to have a good time. Um, since she had forwarded him some weird directions, Johnny passed those along to Dale, just so that somebody knew what was going on. Right. You know, that's the smart thing that we would do, because we're going into a strange place, and these are a little weird. Meanwhile, that afternoon, Mark is with Tracy, and he writes in his SK Confession, in SK Confessions, Changing her name to the clever Lacey. Oh, my sweet Lacey. Just in case you're wondering, Lacey is not my wife or my daughter. Lacey is my ex-girlfriend. On paper, she's the complete opposite of everything that should be my perfect match. She has two small dogs that treat she treats like human children, and those people usually drive me up the wall. She's also periodically depressed and suffers from frequent anxiety attacks, whereas I usually prefer a much more together woman. All these things exist, but I love her uncontrollably and always will. So, he meets up with Tracy, and, uh, yeah. He basically decides that he, if she were to ask him to run away from his life, he would run with her, for sure. Um, he decides that he's going to ask her, um, if she would 
if she would run away if she would run away with him and if she answered yes then he would end that relationship and if she said no then he knew the relationship was real yeah that's have outside forces yeah. dictate if a relationship is real yes that 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 definitely sounds rational so tracy and him are hanging out again and they plan to go see a movie at the cineplex um they didn't plan on which movie they were going to see but once mark got to the theater so it was playing he knew what his choice was going to be it's the film quarantine which is uh yeah 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 um god he's so predictable how <laughs> yeah so they make out in this movie um because that was a tells, very makeout movie. Yeah. And he even <laughs> tells Tracy that um, he and Jess are separated. So, yeah, I'm married, but we're separated and all this. After the movie's over, she, uh, she rushes home to feed her dogs. And Mark has plans anyways, because he's got a date that night. Uh, he made sure that his mask and two steel pipes were right where he wanted them. Johnny arrives at the garage a few minutes after 7... What's his obsession with doing this around 7 o'clock? <laughs> he, he likes to keep on schedule! <laughs> he looks inside of the garage, and Mark is out in the shadows, and he hears Johnny go, hello. And then Johnny decides not to come inside, which wow, really messes up Mark's plan. <laughs> so Mark calls back, hello? Oh, just hold on a sec. He flips on the lights, and the two men stare at each other. Mark's in a hoodie and jeans and Johnny's wearing glasses, but there's no woman here. So, he says, Hi, I'm Mark. <laughs> and, and Johnny replies, Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> Anyways. And his name is Johnny in the movie! <laughs> <laughs> so, he says, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, he says, I'm a filmmaker. I'm dressing this uh, uh, this to look like a set. He motions to the plastic sheeting covering the metal table, ceiling, floors, and walls. And he pretends to be one of Jen's friends who's just using the garage as a workshop. And he keeps up a really cheery tone. Um, I was the guy who made that Star Wars fan film. Have you heard of it? And of course he didn't because that never went anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, the conversation just kind of not happening and is really awkward. And he goes, uh, listen, Jen's not back yet. She's <clears throat> out on a short trip with her friends. She should be back in maybe 10 minutes. And Johnny goes, okay, well, I'll come back. And he jumps in his car and drives off. A couple minutes later, he comes back. So Mark grabs his phone and pretends to be on a call and says, oh, hey, I just got off the phone with her. She says she's stuck in traffic. We'll be back for at least a half hour. Do you want to stick around or come back or or come back? Or Johnny said he'll leave. Um, and then he gets in his car again. And he calls his friend Dale. Told him about the weird guy he met in the garage. So he returned to his condo, wrote a quick message to Jen. And 20 minutes later, she writes back apologizing for the delay, saying that she was now at her house and would love if he came to visit. So, of course, he comes back back but first he tells dale uh he fires off an email to dale saying she's home now i'm heading over he he 
<laughs> Literally, he. Um, just like before, he ducks under the garage door, walks into the movie set, and Mark is still there. And he goes, I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment. Um, and Mark says, uh, you have no idea. And then swings the metal pipe, cracking Johnny's skull. Um, Johnny goes down, and Mark didn't expect it to happen like this. He didn't fall to the ground like in a movie. He just screams and started to try to fight back. So Mark swings again and again, and Johnny's still not going down. He's screaming for the police. Johnny um, gets hit again, and blood sprays all over the floor. And um, Johnny now offers Mark money, thinking this is just a mugging. Like, um, oh. So Mark wanted to torture him for his pin number, and says, you promise? So Johnny promises, and begs Mark to stop hitting him with a pipe. Uh, Mark swings the pipe again, and now try and now Johnny tries to fight him off. Uh, so then Mark grabs a hunting knife and stabs Johnny in the stomach. According to his journal, his reaction was pure Hollywood. The lurch forward with the grunt was dead on TV movie of the week. Think about that. So Johnny's groaning, and uh, Mark stabs him in the neck. Uh, Mark said that he later wished that he had tricked Johnny into uh, by offering to give a ambulance if Johnny gave him his PIN number. Uh, and then Mark would have just killed him anyways, but Johnny's already dead now, so he can't even do this. Mark is covered in blood and wonders if the neighbors heard the struggle. Nobody heard it. Um, so he hefts the body onto the table and gets out his game processing kit. He took Johnny's wallet and keys, cuts off his clothes... Um, he puts all of Johnny's things in his steel drum, except for his underwear. In his journal, he would say, I cut the shirt off too, and le but left the underwear. I didn't need to see my kill's dead junk hanging out while I was trying to work. Not with that attitude. No. So, he cuts off Johnny's legs at, at the knee, puts the severed legs in the trash bags. He then took the arms off the elbow and used scissors to cut off Johnny's fingertips and then cut off Johnny's head cut the torso into small pieces. The work was more boring than Johnny than Mark expected. <laughs> Johnny expected. <laughs> <laughs> Can you cut me up any faster? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he found ways to entertain himself by singing and talking out loud and playing. "Quote: I grabbed his jaw with a gloved hand and moved it while making a funny voice to make it look like he was talking, and chuckled to myself in total silliness." <laughs> My god, man. So around 10, Jess started to wonder where Mark was, and he should be home by ther from therapy by now. So she dials the cell. He said that he was just coming back from the gym, and she reminded him that the gym closes at 9. And he paused and said that he was at his old gym. So Mark tells Jess that he'd canceled his gym membership a month ago. Jess called him out on that and explained that Actually, he procrastinated in canceling his membership and still had a few weeks that were paid for. She didn't really buy this, but didn't feel like arguing, so she told him to pick up baby formula on his way home. And he gets home around midnight without any baby formula. Are the cops here? So, 
Saturday, October 11th, uh, so the next day, Jess and Mark go to Bourbon Street, and they just really enjoy their, like, dinner. They're out on a couple's retreat for the day. Like, crazy. October 12th, uh, which is a Sunday, it's um, almost Canadian Thanksgiving. So Mark, Jess, and Chloe plan to head over to Jess's parents' house for a meal. At 5 in the morning, Mark wakes up before his wife and daughter and drives to Johnny's condo. He got the address off the ID, and the keys are from money. For for American audiences, uh, uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is in October. October. It's second Monday of October. Is it the second? I thought it was the third. No, that's the, the American one. Is yeah. third of November. Yeah, it's the third uh, Thursday or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in this apartment, he steals some cash, changes the automatic response of Johnny's email to say that Johnny was going on a two-month vacation to the Caribbean. He also changes Mar- Johnny's Facebook status and deletes Johnny's online dating profile. Uh, he steals Johnny's laptop and printer, and in the printer tray was a letter to Johnny's insurance company with Johnny's signature at the bottom. Mark thought that he could use this as a forged bill of sale for the car if the police ever asked him about it. And he writes this all down in his journal. Um, he still hasn't disposed of the body. Um, he went to thanks. Uh, he goes to Thanksgiving with his wife and his daughter, um, and then after a family lunch, he goes back to the internet, drops more clues about what he had done. Uh, "Quote: I've also had something else keeping me busy." He writes to that De- to that Dexter fan Renee. Um, but if I'm concerned about telling anyone about the implications, suffice to say, I crossed the line on Friday, and I liked it. Um. And he also makes a full confession to his daughter, who is an infant. Well, that's not going to be admissible in court. Yeah. Um, Quote from his uh, journal here. The cool thing about a seven-month-old is that you can openly tell them anything and they can't rat you out. I I needed that from my daughter since anyone else would could spill to... I could spill too would be dialing 911 before I finished. I knew I only had a limited amount of time before Zoe's comprehension got to the level where it that wouldn't fly, so I got in as much talking as possible in her early development where the words were just soothing sounds to get her used to the English language. Mm. October 13th, he starts writing emails as Johnny Altinger. Um, hey there, I've met an extraordinary woman named Jen who has offered to take me on a nice, long, tropical vacation. We'll be staying at her in her winter home in Costa Rica. Phone number to follow soon. I won't be back in town until December 10th, and I'll be checking my email per- periodically. See you around the holidays. What is he planning to do when the holidays come around? So Just um, disappear them. He also marks the Facebook Johnny's Facebook, as John Altinger is taking off to the Caribbean for a few months. See you all when I get back. He changed relationship status to in a relationship. Some of his friends said like things like take a lot of pictures and all that kind of stuff. Like, so um, Dale, Johnny's friend that he's been telling him to, none of this feels right to him. Of course it doesn't. Um, Johnny wasn't responding to any of his calls. Johnny missed their motorcycle lesson without saying a word. Dale and Johnny talked the night of before he disappeared. 
and Dale knew that a weird dude was in the uh, was had shown up in the place of the date. Dale went over to Johnny's condo and noticed that his cherry red Mazda was missing from its parking space. So if you had gone on Car- to the Caribbean, you probably would have left your car somewhere safe. Yeah. Um, and he also noticed that neither motorcycle were covered with tarps, which is, those are his babies. Like he, Yeah, he, he told them, check on them, make sure they're still there. Yeah. So Dale reports tries to report his friend as missing to the police, but the police just don't seem to see anything fishy about this. If a middle-aged man wants to run off, he can do what he wants, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, the week after the murder, um, sorry, yeah, the week after the murder, Mark is keeping up the ruse that he had a full-time job, and he collects Johnny's remains and the steel drum and a can of oil from the garage. He went to his parents' house and set up in the backyard, and he put the bagged remains in a steel drum and lit them on fire. However, as we talked about before, bodies don't burn well. So soon, Mark hears sirens, and thinking that somebody called the fire department, he douses the fire and waits. But it turns out the fire department was headed somewhere else, so now he opened the wet bags and found that the bags had melted, but the remains are still very much intact. So he packs up the parts and his equipment and brings everything back to the garage. He gets back home, played with his daughter for a little while, and chats with Tracy on on Instant Messenger. She invites him over for a late-night rendezvous, and Mark waited till Jess was in bed and asleep before heading out to his car, driving an hour and a half to Tracy's place, and he gets a ticket for speeding. So Too much evidence. Yeah. So Mark gets to Tracy's, and they, of course, have adult time. And <laughs> wow, I forgot how much of a family show this is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they have adult time. <laughs> well, we're about to get a little more in depth here, so I'm going to read his account of what the night was. Uh, oh. I got to Lacey's without further incident. She let me inside, dressed in her pajamas, and no sooner had I dropped my bag to the floor than we were making out intensely. We moved to her bedroom and shut the door to keep the dogs out. We kissed passionately with juicy anticipation of what was next uh, coming next. I laid her I laid on uh, she laid on her bed, opened the pajamas to reveal a sexy set of white lingerie style underwear. The bottoms were a thong, which was always uh, which always gets me insanely turned on. Lacey looked better than I had ever remembered. A decade ago at the tender age of twenty four, she was gorgeous, but still not as fine as she looked on this night in question. She had been hitting the gym, gone tanning to prepare herself, uh, prepare for her vacation, and had taken up the hobby of belly dancing. I've never been a fan of scrawny girls. In my opinion, you need, uh, if you can see ribs poking through the skin, the woman needs a hefty helping of cheeseburgers very badly. Lacey was beautiful, sensual, with curves in all the right places. Now, she was the ideal textbook of what a woman should look like, with the added skill of how to rotate her hips in in ways most women can only dream they could. Her large, deep green eyes stared seductively into mine, and I couldn't resist her even if I tried. Not that I would want to try. Being with her took on a pace of quickly catching up on how we used to be. Lacey and I explored each other for a good two hours that night, trying several positions, all of them making both of us crazy. 
Um, I was free to suck on various parts of her body and go down on her for as long as she could take it before needing me inside of her. The way she felt, the way she tasted, all so familiar and amazing to have again. She came to orgasm four times before I let myself get to the place. And when we were done, there was no describing the contentment that we experienced. I want you... So it's a family show still. Yeah, still a family show. <laughs> I want you to think about the fact that he just basically set himself up like he's this, like, sex god. Oh, yeah. Well, everything about him is so narcissistic, and I'm the greatest. Like, he he totally sees himself yeah. as uh, this perfection. And honestly, parts of me are like, how does he not? He's just been getting away with a whole bunch of bullshit for so many years. Yeah. Um, so, on October 14th, so the next morning, he leaves Tracy's house and went back to the garage. He fashioned a makeshift apron out of some plastic sheeting and started cutting the body into smaller pieces. Um, he then... So, he then takes a... Sorry, he writes in his journal... Um, this experience changed my sense of place in the world forever. I felt stronger somehow above other people. I felt like the proud owner of a very dark secret that no one would ever be in on. Things that I said to people would uh, would carry double entendres like they hadn't before. Oh, honey, work was murder today. <laughs> would literally, it would be more literal than Tess would ever know. And of course, Tess is his wife, Jess. Like, you know, almost every time he says, oh, honey, work was murder today. And then he would look at a non-existent camera and go, wink. So, um, and as amazing as he feels right now, when he gets home from the murder garage, he finds Tracy online. And instead of their normal talk, she tells him... Um, this is in Mark's journal, quote, she was horribly depressed about uh, from reflecting on her past relationship situation and behaving erratically. She said she couldn't continue to see me because she was messed up and didn't want to put that on me, even though I expressly said to her, uh, said to her that her and I could take things whatever pace she felt comfortable with. It was more than that. Lacey and I discovered, uh, Lacey had discovered that her ex-husband met the clinical definition of a sociopath and what really pushed her over the edge was reading all the traits of women who usually fall for people like this and brought the problem onto herself. She was certain that there were several things terribly wrong with her, and tonight, uh, and tonight that had spiraled into contemplating suicide. So he begs her not to do anything, uh, but he can't go over there because his wife is with him. So um, he calls the police. The, he... So she saw all the signs that he was a sociopath. She saw that her wife, that her ex-husband met the sociopath thing and then realized that women who are attracted to this have traits and will attract similar men. Yeah, like... <laughs> so, um, he tells the police that his friend is contemplating suicide and then when he gets off the phone, he tells Tracy that he just called 911. Tracy replies that he's being ridiculous and said that he was adding her to her stress levels and now the two of them get into a huge fight and that basically um it basically ends in this email that he w that he wakes up to the next morning um 
And she apologizes for causing him alarm the night before. And so things are back to normal with them for the moment. So he still needs to get rid of the leftover body parts of John. So he gets up um, and he drives to a bridge and he throws the body over the bridge and into the water. Um, this is really impractical because there's no shoulder, so he couldn't stop without turning his hazard lights on, which is going to draw attention to him. Uh, he keeps driving and soon spots a path down to a dock along the river and decides that that's too steep. <laughs> so it started to get light out and the first commuters were on the road, so then he thinks about the sewer... So he heads over to a suburb of East Edmonton and finds an uncovered manhole and he quickly dumps all the contents of the bag into the manhole and speeds off. He gets back to the garage, so he didn't throw it off the bridge. He wanted to, but there's nowhere for him to go. And then he thought about the pier, like that little dock. No, can't do it there. I was going to throw it in the sewer. <sighs> so, um, he gets back to the garage and he burns all of his uh, cleaning supplies and all the evidence that he can find. Um... And then it's the next day that he that he has been in exactly like he's sorry on October seventeenth. So that night, um, it's been exactly a week since Johnny's been killed, and the police agree to start looking for him because Dale and two other friends of Johnny's have broken into Johnny's condo and found his passport, which is clear proof that he's not out of fucking the country. Oh, really? Why? Because, you know, <laughs> you kind of need that to travel. Well, I don't have a passport. Yeah, have you been to the? Have you been to Costa Rica? Uh, obviously not. So I don't have a passport. <laughs> have a passport to go. Like, yeah. So Patrolman then follows the directions to the date um, that he went on the previous Friday. And this, of course, leads to Mark's detached garage. Uh, the police would investigate the condo. And they find nothing. There's no signs of forced entry, no bloodstains. But there is an empty spot on Johnny's desk where the printer was normally be. Because Mark stole the printer. Oh, um, shit. While this is happening, Mark calls up his friend Joss and tells him about a guy he'd run into at the gas station who was leaving town with a rich sugar mama and wanted to sell his car, a Mazda, for whatever Mark had on him. Mark paid 40 bucks for it, and he said that he needed to sell it because he couldn't drive stick. He asks Joss to drive over to St. Albert for him, and Joss agrees. So Joss comes, takes the car away. See? He became an accomplice. <laughs> oh my god! So, on October 18th, Mark's cell phone rings, so he sits at home with Jess and the baby, and it's a cop that's on the other end. And the officer wanted to know if Mark was renting a garage, and if he had been there recently, if he saw a man on the evening of October 10th, or knew anything about a woman... The man was supposed to meet. Mark said he didn't know anything, said that he hadn't been there since before the 10th. The officer asked him to come down to the garage to make sure that everything was in order. At the garage, the officers and Mark look over... Uh, sorry, Mar the officers look over... I uh, look around while Mark signed over a witness statement, and uh, the officers then ask if he could see Mark's credit cards to check them against some receipts they had found. When the numbers matched, the officer discovered that Mark had been in the garage as recently as a few days ago. So, he's lying to them. 
and this immediately makes him the prime suspect. So then, on October 19th, he has to go in for formal questioning. So Mark said that he had discovered his front door was unlocked and claimed that he and his wife had forgotten to lock the door. He said he had been troubled by it, but didn't say anything amiss about it. Like, um, he said that on October 15th, he was going to Home Depot for some cleaning supplies when he pulled over for gas. A man came up to him, knocked on his window. According to Mark, the guy had met, just met a wealthy girl and was going on vacation. And then he asked if Mark wanted to buy the car and he tells the same lame story. Um, so Mark said the guy whose name he claimed was also Mark. <laughs> then, then drove the car to his rented garage and left it there. <laughs> it sounds like that like scene from Family Guy. I know. Uh, P, a tear, Griffin, Peter yeah. Griffin. Oh crap! <laughs> so the police aren't really buying any of this, and Mark proceeds to tell the investigators that after buying the car. He then notices that the car is a stick shift and he can't drive it, so he gets his friend Joss to come uh, to come get the parked car and park it at his parents' house a few blocks away. The police are convinced that Mark has done something to Johnny. What? Yeah. Man, the so, room got really weird. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the police officers asks Mark to follow him to the car, uh, follow him in his car to police headquarters. Meanwhile, a forensic team has been dispatched to Joss, to Joss's house to investigate the Mazda. When the police get there, Joss tells the police that he uh, helped Mark with a short film about a serial killer who targeted unfaithful husbands. He was reluctant to share any possible incriminating details about Mark because, of course, he believed that Mark was going to make them both millions. <laughs> so, Joss... So, I gotta say this. Joss has a lot of incentive to keep believing this denial, because he's 30 grand in the fucking hole. Like, yeah. So, back at the police station, Mark spends two hours writing a very detailed statement, and he, of course, is making everything way worse. Um, he writes about how he came home to find that the padlock in the garage had been changed. And then inside, Mark discovered that someone had been, used his duct tape, garbage bags, paper towel, and they also burned something in an oil drum. Part of his statement is, quote, It seems that whoever broke into my car on the 8th used all of the information they stole from my location and personal property for who knows what. I am alarmed that unknown persons know where I live and may be entering the premises I'm supposed to be in control of. I don't know if the person who sold me the car is involved, but looking back, it certainly feels that way, and I have to wonder if I'm being targeted or if it's a nasty coincidence. Yeah, that guy named Mark. Yeah, the other guy named Mark. Oh my god, so, I hate him! I hate him so much! So please keep Mark talking. And they're really hoping that he's going to say something that's going to concretely bring this all together. Um, they interview him, and Mark now t tells them about his film career and his obsession with Star Wars, and he even said that he had just dropped off a custom cod piece that he had made for a Darth Vader costume at the post office. Oh. So, it's now four in the morning, and uh, the police directly uh, tell Mark directly that they believe he is involved with the disappearance of Johnny Altinger. 
Um, and they also told him that they don't believe his story. He tried to deny it and saying that he didn't understand why they would think that. And then he curled into a fetal position as the police listed off the numerous reasons. Mark was a suspect and he began stammering and whimpering and he just began crying. <laughs> and then at six in the morning, so two hours later, Mark asked for a lawyer. Which is what you should have done at the beginning, but whatever. <laughs> well, Mark walks down the hall, chatting on his cell phone and hiring a like and trying to hire a lawyer. Investigators leave his the station and rush over to his house, and they take his computer and Jess tells them that Mark kept his secret uh, kept his computer gear in the basement. The investigators think that there's a small chance that Johnny might still be alive and be being held somewhere for ransom. They then try to find out where he's disappeared to. Um, and they also, so they also have to find some clues on Mark's computer that would reveal why he just went after a random person. Um, they also start to wonder if Mark might be making snuff films and interview his recent cast and crew. Um, and those people tell him that, tell them that Mark was become obsessed with Dexter. Uh, to be honest, uh, Snuff Films was exactly where I thought this was yeah. going. They also tell investigators that Mark had met Jess through a dating website, plentyoffish.com, which is the same website that Johnny was on before his date. So, uh, the forensic team does an investigation of Mark's car on the 21st, and it has seen better days. Uh, the right front bumper is cracked and splintered on the one side, and there's deep gashes on the other. The rear bumper has been crushed on the driver's side. And the taillight had also been punctured. There is also a piece of plastic tape covering a gaping hole. They find the receipt for the movies, a duffel bag, an unpaid speeding ticket, and a roll of black hockey tape. They also find a business card that revealed his film company was called Express Entertainment. Its motto is independent film at its finest. Mm. Um, they also spot a key in the cup holder and pressing the button on the keychain made another vehicle in the impound lot go off a red Mazda that was owned by Johnny. Oh, fuck. They also found post-it notes, and one is a map leading from Mark's house to Johnny's apartment. There's also two more notes, one that reads, sh uh, ship phone while it's on, return Addy to uh, Vic, Destroy wallet contents. Use laptop general Wi-Fi for email. And then another wrote another note that read, Kill room, clean swept. Fuck Tracy senseless. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, they also find a receipt for a hockey mask that was purchased a couple months beforehand. Um, and then in the front of Mark's car, they uh, find a backpack. With a military blade inside, um, one that's commonly commonly used by combat marines, and a rubber-handled seven-inch carbon steel blade. Sorry, it's a rubber-handled seven-inch carbon steel blade with a black leather holster that could be attached to a belt, and that blade is stained red. <laughs> they also find another computer, a Toshiba laptop that's covered in Spider-Man stickers. Uh, on the 22nd, the police start their investigation of Twitchell's house. Jess and Chloe had gone to stay at Jess's mother. Uh, and Mark goes to stay at his parents. 
In Mark's basement, they search his desk, which has been cluttered with empty cans of energy drinks and juice bottles. Half-eaten bowl of noodles sat on the keyboard. Among Mark's computer shelves were burned copies of all 12 episodes of the second season of Dexter. Um, and he also has a bunch of fabrics and strings and costumes. Um, and a Star Wars alien mask with three eyes sat in the corner next to a black Jedi baseball cap. And they noticed the street hockey mask. It had been painted black with three stripes of gold shaped in uh, in the form of a vicious animal claw. And the bottom of the mask had been cut away. While they're going through his computer, they find a document in the trash labeled SK Confessions. And they come across exactly how Twitchell lured and killed Johnny Altinger. The document revealed that a kill room had been chosen, a double door detached garage, and we move on. It even goes through Mark's disguise. So, Mark wrote in it, the trap was set, and now it was time to bait the hook. My kill room was perfectly prepped, the plastic sheen taped together around my table. Just goes on and on and on. He made this so fucking easy. Oh they my even God. find themselves reading about an attack that happened on October 3rd that was unsuccessful. I, how did he get away with all this bullshit for so long? I have no idea. Like, even before the killings, he should have been horribly arrested. Yes. So, on October 23rd, Mark sends out an email to his friends and former film crew urging them not to talk to police. Quote, Gentlemen, first off, I want to offer you my deepest apologies if your lives have been disrupted in any way by what's going on lately. I wish I could talk to you about it, and maybe one day in the future that will be possible, but for now, I recommend that everyone stop talking to the police, or not to start if you haven't already. If you aren't sure what I'm referring to, then you will soon. Uh, you all have the right to remain silent, and you should exercise that right. I'm sure no one in the group who carries guilt, so... You have nothing to fear, but I have been screwed around with and don't appreciate it, so it's time for this. It's time to stop this and make them do their own jobs. I'm serious. The time for the dry, sarcastic humor and flaky jokes is over, but this is no prank. Sometimes what we see on TV is, in fact, a true representation of how they work. Sometimes they do lie and make things up in order to get people to say things other uh, they otherwise would not just so that they can answer the media. <laughs> I didn't think this was the case until the until this week. I was proven otherwise. So please, if everyone uh, if they ask you questions, just tell them that you don't know anything, and if you want uh, want you can come in for a statement and kindly refuse. I highly doubt anybody has given them the slightest provocation to get arrested. So nothing will happen to you if you tell them to pound salt. This will go away faster. Thank you for your cooperation. I'll keep you posted. So Mark's the murderer, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's everybody who read that email. Yeah. <laughs> Mark also logs into Johnny's Facebook page, adds a friend, and then logs out. He's trying to make it seem like Johnny's still alive. So the forensic team arrive at the garage. They discover the bo the garage is fairly empty. The floor is swept and dry. Boxes have been pushed to the sidewalls. On a shelf, they find a pair of black handcuffs, uh, and a key was taken from Mark's home. 
that opened a lock case in the garage, and inside they find a gas-powered BB gun and a stun gun. They also find the, uh, an oil drum with to a metal, uh, next to a metal table. The drum had recently been used to burn a bunch of shit. Yeah, so, uh, towards the back they find two long metal pipes, and the end of one of the pipes is charred black. And it looked like it had been burned. The second pipe was wrapped with black hockey tape and was stained red. And inside of the mouth of the pipe, resting just in the lip, was a collection of small bits, no bigger than grains of rice. And they are fragments of skin, fat, skeletal muscle, and bone. So they keep going. They have all of this together. Um, they s are still confused on why he chose Johnny Altinger. Uh, they still thought that a businessman and father who just decided to become a serial killer didn't make sense. As an experiment, they signed up for Plenty of Fish and designed their own fake profile. And the profile was looking for romance, and the set, uh, but the second woman was looking for casual, no strings attached. And the officers would say, the results were markedly different. No one contacted your relationship seeker, but the woman wanting to have casual sex, her profile was viewed nearly four times more often, which isn't surprising. Like, yeah. I love that they're surprised by this, but it's not surprising. Uh, Mark is still making costumes. Um, he's been staying with his parents and the police surveil him 24 hours a day. Uh, he rarely left their house and he stayed busy building an Iron Man suit. What? Yeah. Oh, don't worry. I'm not guilty. They're, they're just crazy. Now, if you excuse me, I gotta finish these, uh, proton packs on the, on the Iron Man suit. And the, the big twist of this whole story is it turns into a real Iron Man suit and he flies away. Yeah. So um, he has a potential new investor that had seen his website and asked him about the Star Wars film. And then Mark told him about day players and his efforts to raise money. And the businessman says, you certainly have my attention. Um, I have been busy for a week coming up, but I might be able to open up for a slot in a meeting. A few days later, a potential new investor emailed with good news, he wanted to meet Mark and would be bringing an interested friend. So Mark suggested they meet up quickly on the weekend if possible. I'm free all day, Saturday and Sunday. Just let me know. They confirmed that on Halloween, um, they will meet up. Um, I think that once he sees the data in black and white, he will be just as excited as I am. So Halloween comes by. Mark gets up, puts together his list of things to do. Um, he put the final touches on the Iron Man suit. And then put the name of the interested businessman in his contacts and he grabs his two tickets to the Halloween costume contest uh, before getting dressed and heading out. So he has a brisk, a brisk 20 minute walk. A breast. A breast. A breast. He crossed the street and a white van intercepted him, skidded to a stop. The door flew open and a group of police officers in tactical gear swarm him and yell for him to get on the ground. There's no meaning. This is all just to lure him out. Mm. Um, yeah, so they just went after him. They cuff him, place him under arrest for first-degree murder. He's brought back to the police station where he's processed, fingerprinted, interrogated. Um, they'd also spoken to his ex, Tracy, and uh, they're interrogating her just a few doors down the hall from where he's being processed. And she's shown a copy of the SK Confessions, and she tells the detectives that Mark was a conceited asshole and that she had grown to hate him over the last few weeks. 
<laughs> so, meanwhile, back at his, at his parents' place, the forensic team are combing through uh, the property, and um, they don't find anything, but the parents didn't even seem... Sorry. They're combing the property for evidence, and Mark's parents and sisters stood by. They didn't seem that upset. At one point, Mark's father turned to the investigators and said, Officer, can I offer you some advice? Have a vasectomy. <laughs> oh my wow. god! So, November... This is as bad as that European condom commercial where the kids freak yeah, out. The... <laughs> so, uh, Mark would be interrogated... One second. Mark would be interrogated by all this, and, uh... <sighs> he seemed to be in trouble, gave... Uh, he had seen to have trouble when he was giving the story, the fake story about Johnny selling his car a few weeks earlier, and now he's refusing to answer any questions or make any eye contact. Um, they try to get him to cooperate, and he's just not going to cooperate. Um, they're just trying to figure out where he dumped the body. Right. Um, the case is hitting the media now, and then mid-November, Jess files for divorce. She made a full custody of Chloe and wants a restraining order against Mark. She wants uh, she wastes no time in this. She's that, literally just done done. Like wow, that that took way too long. Yeah. As is uh, as this is going on, Mark's in jail at Edmonton Remand Center and he's still not talking. Um, he's being shipped from floor to floor and finally resides at room eleven on cell block three D and the floor does uh and the floor is designed for is designed for long term inmates. He hated who he was surrounded by, and he wrote in a new journal that he's keeping, I have nothing in common with these dope dealers, robbers, and crackheads. Um, and he describes the place as a lowbrow sensory deprivation tank. So, uh, using toothpaste, he tacks up a Dexter poster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the investigators are still trying to find Johnny's body, and they, are finding, they found a description of the sewer body disposal in his SK Confessions. Um, but there's just too many sewers. Like, they have to figure out exactly which one he went to. Um, Mark is a lawyer. Um, this is his second lawyer after he fired his first one. His name is Charles Davidson. Um, and Mark requested a meeting with the investigators. He stipulated the meeting was to be secret, no press, no media, and no Detective Clark, who is the lead investigator on this, and he had grown to hate Detective Clark for some reason. Probably because he's fucking getting got him. This, yeah, because he's getting all this evidence. Uh, Mark doesn't say any anything in the investigator's present. He just slides them a printout of a Google map search. And on the map, it says location to John Altinger's remains. Twitchell had signed and dated the sheet of paper and provided three-sentence uh, description of the exact location. On the maps, he drafted the alley north of the downtown and marked a sewer grate with a red circle. That's the whole meeting. Uh, the forensic team would later make several uh, several trips into labeling the manhole before discovering a human torso. <sighs> so they find his body. Um, a DNA test is used to confirm that it is what's left of Johnny Altinger. March 16, 2011. Mark would enter his not guilty plea. Not guilty. I knew where the body was. <laughs> I only knew where the body was. That that Mark guy told me. Yeah. Um, so there's six men, six women. Um, they hear all the forensic evidence and get to testify. They seize uh, everything they see from Mark's home, the garage they rented, the parents' place, the Altinger condo. Um, 
They used the SK Confessions as a centerpiece of the evidence. Um, his main defense was that SK Confessions was fictional, and the murder weapon and other evidence are simply props for his film that happened to actually be used in a real murder. <laughs> I love that. It's all a coincidence. <laughs> It was all dark comedy whole yeah. time. <laughs> where Charles Darwinson argues that Mark has changed parts of the document to make a better to make a better story. A story about an accidental killing would not get uh, fit genre Mark was trying to perfect. So uh, they call forty six witnesses uh, to prove that the SK confession document was true, save for minor discrepancies. Uh, Twitchell wrote about getting a speeding ticket day after Altinger, the Crown called the sheriff to testify. Um, everything's just matching up with this serial killer confession. Two and a half years after his attack, Gilles Tetreault told the court that he had come to Twitchell's rented garage on October 3rd, 2008, assuming that he was going to meet a woman, and then he was attacked and hit with a stun gun and punched and all that stuff. Uh, Mark told the court that he did indeed attack Gilles, um, but he never intended to hurt him. He said the attack was to help recreate, uh, help create an urban legend, an online urban legend for a movie book project. That that's worse. Cause you're, oh my god, that wouldn't that be under conspiracy? Yes. <laughs> and so Twitchell said that the game processing kit found in his garage was a prop for a movie where he claimed, uh where he claimed were driven by his savant powers. Oh! Hate him! Yes. I hate it. He is every person in theater school I hated. <laughs> so, Marge, uh, so Mark uh, chose not to uh, speak to Johnny's family when given a chance to address the court. He paused for several seconds and said that he thought about making comments but declined. I'll pass on that. Um, Altinger's mother told the court in a victim impact statement that she still called her false or son's cell phone two and a half years after Mark killed him just to hear his voice message. Um, on April 12th, the jury deliberated for five hours before deciding that Mark Twitchell was guilty of first-degree murder. How could he not be? Yeah. After nearly four weeks of testimony and over 20 witnesses and excess of 100 exhibits entered into evidence, this is all done. Like, honestly, five hours for that. Like, um, the Alger family gasped when they heard, and then they smiled. <gasps> Mark's guilty? No, 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 no. The Altinger, so his, uh, his victim's family. Oh. They're gasping because they're relieved that he... Oh, oh, yeah. oh. Well, sorry about that. I... So... Now that joke seems embarrassingly bad. Mark is sentenced to life in prison, and he's not eligible for parole for 25 years because in Canada, you can only serve 25 years before you're eligible for parole. We don't have life without. Yeah. So, um, so he's not eligible for parole until at least 2036, um, and he'll be 57 at that time. So he's um, still he's still around. He's still alive. I highly doubt he'll get out because once they see that SK confessions, like. Um, he did appeal and blamed the media attention on his trial, influencing the jury, but that, of course, was thrown out. Um, it was going to be thrown out, so he withdrew it. He knew that it was a bad move. 
Um, in 2013, he acquired a flat screen TV and a cable package at the maximum security prison that he's staying at. Um, and then in 2017, he was using dating sites for inmates. Um, he's 38 now. I'm sure that Jess has long divorced him by now. Yeah. I hope she moves on to somebody nice. Well, what do you mean she's now divorced and like... She's long divorced. Like, yeah, divorced yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, that. we she already filed. talked about that earlier. Yeah, she filed for it, but like, I'm sure that by now it's all over. Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, he writes on this Canadian Inmate Connect, quote, I'm looking for an interesting, intelligent, open-minded, delightfully imperfect woman to relate to and share amusing observations with, as well as potentially a long weekend every few months if it gets there naturally. So, no, no, keep going. I'm going to talk that's about what I want to. That. Oh, that's that's it. Yeah. So he's currently 42. Um, there's just a lot of he. He really blames the media on all this. Of course he does. So, yeah. So, first thing I want to say is. Um, he got a cable package and a flat screen TV, which means he got to watch the rest of Dexter. Yep. And what new Dexter is coming out, he's probably excited for. But my biggest question is, what did he think of the ending of Dexter? Because there's an inf infamous controversy surrounding how much people don't like it. <laughs> Could you imagine he did all this and then the end comes and he's like, I wasted my life. Yeah. Like, it, it's... It, I know it's such a weird thing, but considering this whole thing was about how Dexter inspired him, he... I want to see what his, his, his thoughts on it were. Yeah. The other... The other thing I want to say is when he did the fan page and the, the one girl he was talking with back and forth um, started messaging him talking about having a dark passenger and all that jazz. I actually thought that the direction of it was that uh, he was going to end up meeting this woman and she was going to be the Dexter killer. <laughs> what, she was going to be. imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> He's been fantasizing about killing somebody for so long. I mean, while well, he gets fucking killed. Like, yeah. Uh, also, um, you said serial killer the whole time. You killed one person. Oh, yeah, I know. I guess it's all alone in this. <laughs> like, I guess that's true. It, which it, I only said serial killer because he put SK confession. I know. It's so he great. He intended to be a serial killer. He thought he was going to get away with this and be able to, like, just keep happening. Well, honestly, can you blame him? He spent several years making movies and doing no work. Yes. for And nobody clued in that he was doing jack shit until he tried to murder someone. And then he's like, oh, I'm being caught. What the fuck? <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. I, I know that's been a that was a long episode. And it hurt me significantly. So bad. Like, oh! oh! I will say one thing. Uh, one of the statements that the detective made to him was when he was wrapping the whole case up, he did tell Mark Twitchell, thank you for making this so easy. <laughs> I love it. I love the fact of, like, 
the detective just being like, so by the way, this was really easy to put together. Like, like we we actually got a really good morale with the team because we caught a killer. Like, it, this is this is really really impressive. Like, yeah. like uh, we almost felt like it was an episode of CI, uh, CSI. CSI because of how quickly we solved it. <laughs> right. Let's call her there. All right. Well, that's our show. Uh, as always, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that jazz. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BAKSJAR. You can ask me uh, random questions at I'm glad you asked underscore. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at KSJAR Podcast, which is also the name of our YouTube channel. And if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash chaos jar and throw us a couple bucks. All of this in the show notes. Uh, good night.